let's get on with the sermon. Dr. Richard Halverson was a chaplain in the United States Senate for 14 years. Prior to serving in the Senate, he served as the pastor for 23 years of the Fourth Presbyterian Church in Bethesda, Maryland. He did what all pastors do, from from preaching on Sundays to teaching and marrying and managing the daily affairs of the church, doing funerals and hospital visits and so on. But he personally believed that his most important function as the pastor of that church was the benediction that he prayed every Sunday after his sermon. So every week for 23 years, Dr. Halverson reminded his congregation of of a very powerful truth when he said these words, you go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you. And wherever you are, God has put you there. Well, Dr. Halverson passed away in 1995, and at the conclusion of his funeral service, the guys in the sound booth played a familiar recording. It was Dr. Halverson reminding his congregation once again, you go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you, and wherever you are, God has put you there. Well, I believe that what Dr. Halverson said was very true. In fact, Psalm 37, 23 says this, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. So understand that God does order your and my steps. God prepares good works for us in advance. And God does in fact set up divine appointments for each and every one of us. Our job is to keep those appointments. Today we're gonna continue on our series that we've titled Miraculous, where we are looking at five specific miracles that Jesus performed. And we're doing this because in every one of them, we clearly see God's heart and his love and his care for mankind. He cares about the things that you and I care about. He cares about those little things that maybe you believe God doesn't wanna be bothered with. Well, let me tell you the truth. It's not a bother to him. He wants to hear from you. And so like I said last week, since we've all seen and maybe uh, personally experienced Jesus perform some big miracles, why not start trusting him for the little ones? Last week, we looked at probably his least significant miracle when he turned the water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana. And yet it was a miracle of giant proportions. And if you'll recall, I threw a whole lot of scientific data at you and all the science geeks were thrilled last week. (laughs) But what we really discovered through this miracle of turning water into wine is that Jesus had authority at the molecular level. Well, last week, uh, this week, I wanna talk about a miracle that Jesus performed when distance was not an obstacle. It is when Jesus showed us his lordship over longitude and latitude. You see, when you meet the right person at the right time and you have no earthly explanation for it, it might just be that God is setting you up for something special. I call them divine appointments and I believe they are not just limited to being subplots that we read about in the divine scriptures. Because if you're willing to live the spirit-led life, it's gonna be a subplot for your daily life as well. I made it very clear last week that you are a miracle. Your life, the way that, that God created you, it is a miracle all of its own. But here's another truth that I wanna direct your attention to this morning. You are also someone else's miracle. Have you ever given any consideration to that thought? I promise you it is the truth. And if we could only grasp this truth and hold on to it in our lives, what a game changer it would be for literally every single one of us. So this, this week, let's not focus on the miracle that we need, but instead focus on being a part of someone else's miracle. And let's see where God takes us through this study. So I'd like you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter four. If you don't have a Bible, we're gonna have it on the screen behind me and you can follow along with us. We're gonna read about another miracle. John chapter four, 
verses 46 through 54, and I'll be reading from the New International Version. The scriptures say, once more he, meaning Jesus, visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Verse 46 starts out with this statement. Once more, Jesus visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. I wanna park here for just a moment. Jesus arrives again to Cana, the place where he had performed his first miracle. And I believe that this is a very important detail and I wanna spend a few minutes talking about it. A few years ago, I was invited back to Phoenix First Assembly to speak there. It was an honor to be asked to go back. PFA was a church where I had served on staff as an associate pastor for 12 years prior to coming here to Red Bluff. When I flew out, I decided to go to, the camp, go to the campus early and to look around to see what had changed since my time there, the many years that I had spent. And uh, they had a major construction project going on at the time, so things were pretty tore up, but I managed to get around and check things out on that campus. When I walked into the main sanctuary, nobody was in there, my eyes immediately looked up to the north balcony. Now why, you may ask. Well, it was at Phoenix First where I also attended Bible College, and that north balcony was where I spent a whole lot of time praying. You see, when I decided to answer God's call to go into the ministry, I committed to the Lord that I would pray every morning before school started. And truthfully, that, that north balcony is a very special place for me. Every morning, I would go up there and I would just walk back and forth pacing, talking to God and seeking him. Because it was important for me to know that the Lord was indeed ordering my steps. And I don't have time to tell you about all the things that went on up there in that balcony between God and me, but believe me when I tell you that without that morning alone time with God in prayer, I would have never made it into the ministry. Because like most people who answer God's call, it can be frightening and you are overwhelmed with feelings that you just don't measure up. And it can literally be overwhelming. But those moments that I spent with God in prayer in that balcony showed me his care, showed me his direction, his power in my life. It was what got me through. And it's ultimately why I'm standing before you this morning. And now as I look back, I can see how God did indeed order my steps. Being back at that place again was one of those moments where God reminded me that I have ordered your steps from the time that you prayed to me in this balcony to where you are right now. And David, furthermore, no matter where you go, I am going to be with you and I've got your back covered. So my point for telling you all of this is I needed to go back to that balcony because that was my Cana experience. You see, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes you gotta go back to Cana. And that's just what Jesus did. Sometimes you need to go back to the place where you experienced a miracle or where God did something extraordinary in your life. You need to go back to that place, fall on your knees, and thank God for what he's done for you. Allow him to reset and to renew that faith in your heart. If you are Lazarus, 
You need to go back to that grave that you never used and place some flowers down in front of it. If you are Zacchaeus, you need to go back to that sycamore tree and climb back up in it. If you are Paul, you need to go back down that road to Damascus where the Lord knocked you off your horse once before. If you're Peter, you need to get on a boat and you need to go out to that place where you walked on water. If you were Elijah, you need to go back to Mount Carmel where you defeated 450 false prophets. If you are Moses, you need to go back to that burning bush. If you are David Blythe, you need to go back to the north balcony of Phoenix First Assembly, now called Dream City Church, where God turned my human fears into faith. And if you are Jesus, you need to go back to Cana. Why, you may ask. Well, the facts are the facts. Jesus' first miracle happened in Cana, and the Bible says he came to Cana again. You see, I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in providence. And here's what I've learned. It's hard to deny the glory and the power of God when you are at a place where you cannot deny that the miracle actually happened there. You see, there was still residual evidence of of Jesus' miracle in Cana. People were no doubt still talking about it in the city that Jesus came and turned Uh, water into wine. It was still fresh in their minds. So can I tell you why my favorite place to pray in the whole world is the North Balcony of Phoenix First Assembly? It's because it took a variety of miracles to take place to become what God wanted me to become. So whenever I'm in Phoenix and I see that balcony, it gives me great faith because my Many spiritual battles were fought up there and won there. And there were victories over my flesh going on every day there. There were things happening that were not by any stretch of the imagination miracles, but it was a place where God was transforming me. It was a place where I prayed every day for my daughter who was in my wife's womb, praying that God would make her healthy and that she would grow up to know and love the Lord. And my deal with him was, if you will bring me her into this life healthy, I will lead her to you. I will show her who you are. It was a place where God produced faith in me, a great faith in him. And I believe it's important to revisit those places where God has done miracles in our lives. And if you physically can't go there, then go there in your mind. Go there in the spirit realm and ask God to revisit that moment with you. And so Jesus came to Cana again. And that leads me to ask you, where do you need to go back to to remind yourself of God's goodness and why you are here today? What do you need to believe God for again in your life. Well, the second part of verse 46 says, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. Let me stop here and provide you with a little bit of background. In first century Israel, royal officials and itinerant rabbi, Jewish rabbis did not mix in the same circles at all. They didn't follow each other on Twitter. They didn't pin on each other's walls and they didn't send friend requests to each other on Facebook. They avoided each other at all costs. But desperate times calls for desperate measures. You see, when your child is on their deathbed, you will move heaven and earth or you will humble yourself before the creator of heaven and earth. You will do anything and everything within your power because you love your child and you need a miracle. Now, I wish I had more time to talk about the way that this script flips so dramatically, but who's the one in authority here? Well, to the average reader, it would seem like the royal official, the guy who had all of the political power. But even with all of his political power, and his clout in the community, even he recognizes a greater authority here. And I want you all to understand something. There are going to be people, people that perhaps hold positions of, of political or business or legal authority or power who will come knocking at your door, maybe not physically your door, but come to you one day 
And you may think that they have what you want, but you have what they desperately need. Because there is an authority that is far greater than any authority that can be given by man. It is the authority of Almighty God. And you, if you are a child of God, that authority is yours. And you function with the authority of God behind you. So therefore, ladies and gentlemen, God is setting you up. He's going to take you to places and you, you are going to meet people and you will touch their lives in a profound way. So who is like this royal official for you in your life? Don't be surprised as if you follow Jesus, they will come knocking at your door. And you better, and you must be ready for those moments because as I said earlier, you are someone else's miracle. So we see divine appointments happening. And it says in verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him. And this is a very easy verse for us to just simply kind of to skim over, but it is huge because Cana is 20 miles from Capernaum as the bird flies. And Capernaum is also 700 feet below sea level. So understand that this was an uphill hike for this royal authority to go through on some very rugged terrain. And I want you to write this down. Sometimes faith is measured in miles. In this case, I would suggest to you that it took 20 miles of faith for this man to experience his miracle. This was his expression of faith. As an example, when we read in our Bible about the children of Israel and how God told them that they would possess Jericho, God told them it would be theirs. And you have to ask yourself, and they asked, how in the world can this possibly happen? It was, the, it was an impenetrable city of that time. No one could break in. No one could break through. No one could pass its walls or its gates. So the Jews wondered, what's the plan? How is God going to give us this impenetrable city? Well, as you read, God told them to march around that city seven times. And then he instructed them to let out a yell. And that yell caused those walls of Jericho to fall down on that heavily fortified city. And I would suggest to you that what we have there is seven laps of faith. I read a story about a man named Paul Anderson. He was praying for a kidney transplant, not for himself, but for a, a friend's son. So he started circling Baptist Hospital in Oklahoma City, and he circled it every day for 160 days. It is a one-mile lap, and when added it all up, he circled that hospital 350 times. That's 350 miles of faith, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, you can measure it not just in miles. If you want to, you can measure it in hours. You can even measure it in calories. At an average rate of three miles per hour, Paul spent 116 hours circling Baptist Hospital. That is nearly five 24-hour days. At an average burn rate of 125 calories per hour, he burned 43,750 calories. Theoretically, if you burn 3,500 calories, you've just burned off a pound. So this man burned 12 and a half pounds while praying for a miracle. Isn't that great? You pray for a miracle and you get into shape as well. Well, a miracle did happen. It's when God revealed to Paul Anderson that he... He was the one who was supposed to donate his own kidney. So he donated his kidney and he saved the kid's life. I would suggest to you that that is 43,750 calories of faith. There are stories like that all around us. Matthew Barnett, pastor of the Los Angeles Dream Center, trained to travel over the globe to run marathons. He trained to run seven marathons in seven different continents in seven different days, and in seven days, not different days, seven days. He wanted to increase the Dream Center's capacity to take in more families who were on the street because they had hundreds, literally hundreds of families on a waiting list. When he finished his endeavor, he had raised a boatload of money for the, for the LA Dream Center. Matthew had traveled tens of thousands of air miles, and then he ran or probably walked in most cases over 182 miles. I would suggest to you 
that that is 182 miles and they're all expressions of faith. When Lisa Brooke and I came to Red Bluff to serve as your pastor, it took us 885 miles of faith. We didn't know anybody here. We didn't know what the future would hold. We just knew that God called us here, and so we stepped out in faith. What I'm saying to you is that, that sometimes simple faith is measured in miles and in hours and in calories. Now, I realize what I said, how dangerous that can be, because here's the truth. It's not about logging miles. It's not about tracking hours. It's not about counting calories. You can't earn a miracle any more than you can earn your salvation. You cannot manipulate God and you can't manufacture a miracle. But sometimes I believe with all my heart that God wants to see how serious we are. Are you willing to walk to Cana? Are you willing to suck up your pride and do something out of the normal? Come on, the Israelites had to circle Jericho seven times. Naaman, Naaman had to dip in the Jordan River seven times. Elijah had to pray for rain seven times. It's not like seven is a magic number, but like I said last week, sometimes you've got to do the natural so that God can do the supernatural. One of my Bible college professors said this regarding preparing a sermon. He said, prepare every sermon like there is no Holy Spirit, but fully rely upon him. In other words, yes, you trust the Holy Spirit to take what you have put together and prepared and to make it better than it ever could be, but you also do your part. You work diligently on that message. Here's my point. Your effort won't make a miracle happen, but your lack of effort can prevent it from happening. You see, if this royal official had stayed in Capernaum, he would have missed the miracle. So don't wait for the miracle to come to you. You go to it. Amen. Dallas Willard wrote, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. You see, you can't earn a miracle, but effort, I believe, is part of the equation. You may have to hike up a hill for 20 miles, but that extra effort can sometimes be the catalyst for the miracle that you need. Sometimes you have to walk to Cana, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes you have to burn 43,000 calories. Sometimes you gotta knock on doors. Sometimes you gotta circle something seven times. Here's what I'm trying to say. My goal at the end of my life is to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. So here's my translation. I want an A for my effort. I want to work and I want to act and I want to put forth the effort like I really believe that God can do something miraculous in my life. That is my expression of faith and it is your expression of faith. You see, if you believe that, you are going to walk to Cana. Are you willing to walk to Cana this morning? Verses 48, 49 and 50. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. So this man, this important official believed the words that Jesus had spoken, and he went on his way. He believed the word, and I would like to say something, uh, something about that. You don't need another sermon. Certainly, you can get a word from God in a sermon like this, and that's great, but you need a word from God. A lot of miracles have happened starting with the word. And here's a fact of life. How can you get a word from God if you don't get into the word of God? That's where you get a word from the Lord. John 15, seven says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you want and it shall be done. Isn't that great? That puts us right back where we started. Don't seek miracles, seek Jesus. And if you seek Jesus, you'll find yourself in the middle of some miracles. Jesus is the word. He is the word made flesh. And when we are in the word of God, we can be, he can begin to quicken your spirit, but you have to abide. You have to allow the word of God to abide in you. That's a present imperative verb, and it indicates continual action. 
So let me give you five quick translations of what I mean. Sometimes it means to stay up. It's when you can't sleep because you need a word from God. When you say, God, I need a word from you, when you wait up to hear from him, sometimes it means to fast. To most people, it's a frightening proposition to go with food for a day or two or for a week while purposely focusing your attention upon God. Sometimes it means saying, I'm not going to let God's, let go of God's word. It means to stand still. I'm going to stand on God's word and his promises. Sometimes it means to tarry. Most of us don't even know what that word means in our day. To tarry is to linger. It is to stay longer than expected without an agenda in order to encounter God's presence for an extended period of time. When we tarry, we stay in the moment, fully engaged and tuned in to the presence of God. And that's what Jesus told his disciples to do. Don't go out and do the great commission before you spend some time tarrying within the presence of God. You better get in that upper room and you would better get a word from God. You have a visitation from the Holy Spirit, otherwise you're not gonna go anywhere. And the last one, sometimes it means to be moved. It's like when Zerubbabel, his spirit was stirred about rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. When you get a word from God, he will start to stir your spirit and he brings you to life and he animates you somehow and you begin to move in the direction that God is leading you. But it's hard to believe the word if you don't know the word. And you know something? When you get a word from God, it's like a light coming on on the dashboard of your car. It's like when I was in trigonometry, trigonometry class and I was having a hard time understanding a, a particular concept. It just wasn't making sense to me. And, and when all of a sudden the teacher shared it from a different perspective, a different way, and I finally got it, it was like a light went on in my head. It's like when an asthmatic is having a, a breathing attack. Today, they have an inhaler and within seconds they're okay. But in the old days, they used to have to get a shot of epinephrine. And I'm told that when that adrenaline began to surge through their, their veins, their breathing would clear up and it was like a jolt of energy for them. You see, when you get a word from God, it is like one of those aha moments. You remember it. The light comes on and your purpose is revealed. The truth really does set you free and you stand upon and believe the truth until the day that you die. And it changes the way you live and how you believe and most importantly, how you trust in Jesus. So did you notice what happens in this story? Evidently, the moment that Jesus said the word, your son will live, this man believed him. He took Jesus at his word and he went back home. What an exciting and yet brief encounter. And the servants meet this man on the way home with glorious news, your son is going to live. The very same words that Jesus used to the father. Evidently, he must have checked the sundial that day because when he asked the servants what time his son got well, sure enough, it was the exact moment that Jesus had spoken those words, your son will live. At that moment, the fever left the boy and he began to mend. And it was then and there that this royal official's son, this royal official, excuse me, through the miracle from his son, received a new revelation not of what Jesus could do, but more so of who Jesus was, and that he had authority over all things and over all distance and over all time. You see, Jesus was not limited by space. He was not limited by time. He healed that son from a distance. Jesus had power in areas beyond the knowledge and beyond the reach of man. So, when the man understood this, he said in the second half of verse 53, so he and all his household, his whole household believed. It was a trust that Jesus was at work and that it would work out. He would work out this matter for him in ways that this royal official could not even imagine or could not even anticipate. And this moment forever marked this man. He would never, ever be the same.
Here's the point I want to make. Have you marked your moments? I have marked events throughout my life, moments when God did great things for me, through me, and in me. I've marked them, and they have marked me. But, but here's what I truly believe. There are some miracles that may not happen for years. And I can't tell you the whys or the hows or the wins, but I will tell you that if you pray through, God is going to break through. There's going to be a moment when you will look back and you will say that was the moment that the miracle began. One last story and I am done. I read of a man named Peter who believed that God had positioned him in the right place at the right time. <clears throat> and understand, this is one thing, it is one thing to feel God uh, positioning you somewhere for one of those God-ordained moments, but it is something totally different to act upon that divine appointment. It is up to us to seize those opportunities that he gives us. And they are all around us all the time, but sometimes we're so focused on where we're going and what we're doing that it completely goes over our head. So Peter said that something quickened in his spirit. He had to change flights in Phoenix. He said when he went to sit down, that he had this sense that his seat assignment, his very seat assignment, was a divine appointment. He sat next to a young lady who was already on the plane, and so he turned and he politely said to her, hi, how are you today? And he said initially it was like one of those responses, okay, that was fine, but don't talk to me again. And by the way, the armrest is mine, Buster. But, but he couldn't shake the feeling. He felt like that there was a reason why he was on that plane. He was afraid of offending her, but, it, but he finally turned to her and he said, young lady, I don't want to offend you, but I have a sense that you are carrying a heavy burden. And if I can help you in any way, I'm all ears. Well, this 17-year-old girl opened up to him. She told him that she was three months pregnant and on her way to Las Vegas, her boyfriend had told her to take off and to take care of the problem. And so she stole her dad's credit card that morning and she was running away from home. As she shared her story, P Peter began to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ to her. And by the time they landed in Vegas, he had convinced her to immediately call her parents, who as you can imagine were worried sick. Her parents convinced her to hop on a plane and come home immediately so that they could take care of her and her baby. Now I don't know the rest of the story, but I have a feeling because one man recognized a divine appointment by God through a seed assignment that one and very possibly two lives were saved that day. But what I really want you to realize this morning is that you are someone else's miracle. You are. You may not believe that you are, but you are. And I don't know what the day will be like. I don't know whether it will be in your office or if it will be in your home or if it will be out at the grocery store or wherever you might be. I don't know if it's going to be on your way someplace or if it's going to be something completely out of your way. But just like I said last week, don't seek miracles, but instead seek Jesus, the one who is capable of performing a miracle. I'd like to say to you this week, instead of seeking your miracle, become a miracle in someone else's life. God has placed you in this world for a purpose. He has placed all of us here for a reason. First, to worship him, and secondly, to be used by him and, and to serve him. So if you live life with the idea that, that you, God can use you in other people's lives, even perhaps being a part of their miracle, you will begin to believe God in greater ways for your own miracle. See, God might use you to be a part of, of someone else's final moment of life and leading them to Christ. Or you might be there to help someone make a very important decision. Or you might help someone to decide to make a life-changing commitment. Or a word of encouragement from you might be exactly what someone needs to stop them from considering taking their own life 
or a word of encouragement from you might push someone into their God-given destiny. We're always hit with negativity and why we can't do things. And sometimes you just completely stepping out with the, with the, the joy of God in your heart and saying, you can do this. If God is calling you to do this, you can do it. Just like my wife did to me when I had a call in the ministry and no one else believed it. My dad asked me if I couldn't just be a good lay leader. That's what he said. Dad, I feel like I'm being called into ministry. Well, maybe you could just be a good lay leader in your church, David. It crushed me. It really crushed me. My dad, my hero, didn't think I had the, the gravy to do this. And I didn't either, to be honest with you. But it was her words that said, if the Lord is calling you to do this, then you need to act. And you need to act now. That's the encouragement I'm talking about. And so therefore, our prayers, our continual prayer must be, God, help me to live a spirit-led life. Help me to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Help me to recognize those God-ordained moments and those opportunities when I see them. And not to just recognize them, but to act upon them. You see, if we're not careful, we will wake up one day to realize we've been blinded to divine encounters throughout our entire lifetime. We can miss out on God using us to help other people, to assist them during times of trouble, or even be someone else's miracle, because I believe you are someone else's miracle. Sometimes they will seek you out, like this royal official did, Jesus, while other times the moment might literally fall into your lap. But the question becomes, are you ready for that moment? Are you ready to be used by God? Are you willing to be Jesus' hands and feet and heart in helping someone else's impossible become possible? That's what the Lord is asking of all of us today. Scott, will you please come forward and help me to close this down? Today, we're gonna to end our service by taking Holy Communion together. We do this every month and I love it. The communion is something that was established by the Lord himself. And it's a way that we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. That he, the sinless and innocent son of God, died a horrific death on the cross to atone for our sin. He paid the ultimate price. He paid the price for our sin with his own life and his own blood, but he didn't stay dead. He rose three days later with resurrection power. And now through all that, we can be reconciled to our Heavenly Father. Those who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, they're now promised eternity in God's presence when our time on this earth is completed. And today, I not only want us to remember Jesus' sacrifice of laying down his life and bearing our sin, but I also want us to be to be reminded of what our response should be to all of this. When someone does something that great for you, there should be a response of thankfulness and there should be a response of, of gratefulness and there should be a new direction in our lives because we are a new creation and Jesus has set us free. And I believe that our thankfulness for what Jesus has accomplished in that, we should be asking, what can I accomplish for you, Lord? Well, as we've talked at length this morning, we can be prepared for the many divine appointments that God brings into our path. We can be ready to be a part of, of someone else's miracle because remember you are again, as I've said for the sixth time, someone else's miracle. But we can't just say that. We gotta start living our life as though we believe those words that are easier said than done. If you are someone else's miracle, then you've gotta start living like it. What I'm saying is you've gotta be prepared for those supernatural appointments that the Lord brings to you. And speaking of supernatural appointments, some of you are experiencing one right now. You are not here this morning by accident. This is a God-ordained moment, and God has brought you here today so that you can receive salvation and begin to new, live a new kind of life with a new purpose and a new focus. 
That's what happens when you accept Jesus' free gift of salvation, his forgiveness. Begin to live a new kind of a life with a new purpose, with a new focus. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. While we pray in just a moment, you can pray a prayer of confession and a prayer of belief and God will save you and you can have a fresh start. Your sins will be forgiven and you will be, as the scriptures say, a new creation. And for those of you who have already received salvation, the Bible warns us, he warns all of us, but I'm talking to believers here right now, specifically and especially, we are never to participate in this this moment, the Lord's Supper, as we call it, in an unworthy way. And this goes for all of us. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 20, 29 says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That scripture is telling us that we must examine ourselves And we must make sure that there is nothing going on inside of us that no one else knows about but us that would make our participation in this sacred moment to be done so in an unworthy way. Is there any unconfessed sin in your life? If so, you need to confess that. Is there unforgiveness in your heart towards another human being? If so, you need to correct that. Have you become calloused completely about the things of God? The minute you start talking about God or Jesus, your ears turn off. And you just go, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Well, you need to confess that to the Lord today. If so, it is essentially important that every one of us clear those things up and leave it at the foot of the cross, lest we drink judgment upon ourselves by doing this in an unworthy manner. So before the hushers hand out the communion emblems, we're going to have a moment of silence. And all you're going to hear is the music playing softly behind me. And during that time, I want every one of you to pray to God in your own way. And in your own words, ask him to forgive you of your sin. Bring anything that you have to the Lord that you need to confess, that you need to acknowledge. If you do this, you make things right, make things, make certain that things are right between you, with you and God, then you will be able to participate in communion and know that you are doing so in a worthy way. And then you'll be able to participate in communion with us. If you're not prepared to do this, then when the communion emblems pass your way, just let them pass by to the next person because you do not want to eat or drink judgment upon yourself and be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So let's have a time of silent prayer while the music plays softly behind me. Father, you've heard our words and even more importantly, you've read our hearts. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you for your tremendous love for us, for your amazing grace. We thank you for sending Jesus to die for us on the cross so that we could live. Thank you for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. I ask the ushers to come forward so we can pass out the communion emblems. On the night that Jesus was arrested and betrayed, he took the bread and, and he broke it. He told them that the bread represented his body, which was soon to be broken for them. So as you eat this bread this morning, I wanted you to be reminded of the, the bruised and battered body of our Lord and Savior Jesus, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. You may eat the bread. He then took the cup. He gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and he said, this, this, uh, this represents my blood. It represents and confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out for the sacrifice, as a sacrifice, excuse me, for the sin of many. And as you drink this juice, I want you to be reminded of the precious blood of the lamb that poured out of his body, 
to cleanse you, to wipe away your sin. You may drink the juice. Please stand to your feet. We're going to sing a song. There's a method to my madness. We have a bake sale going on in the foyer to raise, uh, raise funds for our children to go to summer camp. So if, if you feel like I've cut into your lunchtime and you're really hungry, you can buy a sweet and you can eat it on your way to the restaurant. See how things just all work together for good to those who trust and believe in the Lord, right? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Close this service. Father, thank you for another day of life. Thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for your precious spirit, which inhabits us, which drives us, which strengthens us, which motivates us, 
which allows us to see those God-ordained moments and to act upon them. Father, I pray for every person in this church today. I ask that as we leave here, Lord, we would, we would leave here in love with great expectation of what you can do in and through us, that we, in fact, could be someone else's miracle. So use us, I pray. Fathers, we go our separate ways. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct us, the steps we take, the places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have, that those conversations would be designed to build people up and not to tear them down. And God, that you would use us in a mighty way. The love of Christ would shine through us in such a, such a way, such brightness in this dark world that people would know that there was something different and they would come to us and ask us what that difference is. So God, I pray for a divine appointment for each and every one of us this week. And I look forward to hearing the results of those moments as people come up and share them with me. Lord, we thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for your blessed spirit that not only indwells us, but is in this house and touches our hearts and our lives. We ask that you'll be with us, Lord, as we go forth our way. Keep us safe till we gather together again and we worship you in spirit and in truth. Keep us safe from sickness and illness, disease. Keep us safe from any accidents that might come our way. And we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here. attended a Pentecostal church before, what you just experienced was a message in tongues. The Bible says that if a message comes in tongues in a worship service like this, there needs to be an interpretation. Because she first spoke in a tongue that we did not recognize, it's followed by an interpretation in English, something we can understand. Speaking in tongues without an interpretation really means nothing to anyone other than the person that speaks it. But she had the interpretation as well. And I don't think I need to say any more, kind of summed up our sermon. The Lord is with us and he is encouraging us to do his work and his will. Thank you. Thank you again for being here.